We are uh, uh, starting a new series today. It doesn't really have a title or a graphic. That's the great thing about being outside. We don't have to worry about those such logo type things, you know. Um, we're, we're in outdoor worship, but we're starting a new series it's on discipleship. It's based on our membership class. So if you, uh, I know there's a few people here who are part of Central Avenue United Methodist Church in Athens. That's our parent church. You uh, that you might have even taken the membership class, so you might recognize some of this. I know a few others have taken the membership class here at Central City, and it's very similar. Um, but uh, part of the membership class is walking through. Uh, a number of areas of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for uh, somebody to walk uh, and become more like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love like Jesus, to live like Jesus? Uh, a side note, just because I, I, I recognize this, the, the, the shade will move, and uh, if you are like me and need the shade to not hate your life for the next 24 hours, that's me. Uh, you can move with it. You're not going to bother me. So uh, feel free to uh, remain comfortable. There's plenty of room, and it'll there, there should remain shade the closer we get to some trees. So, um, but these six areas, five of them are from the membership class, and we're adding another one uh, that's that's important for our community. And they are this: we we want to talk about what it means to grow spiritually. We want to talk about what it means to reach intentionally. This might sound familiar to some of you. We want to talk about what it means to serve regularly what it means to uh, connect relationally, and then finally we're going to talk about what it means to engage cross-culturally. That's an addition from our, from our parent church, something that, that we, um, is, was expressed in other ways in the membership, but we're, we're pulling out and teasing out a little bit more. So grow, reach, uh, serve, give, connect, and engage. And here's why we're doing it. We want to just get back to the basics. I know this last year for many people have been disorienting. And one of the things, one of the impacts of how this last year has been is kind of thrown some of our rhythms off. Certainly has thrown our rhythms off in regards to how we do church and how it, what it means to come to church, what it means to gather, and what it means to be in small groups, and all of these really core basic things about what it means to be a Christian. These have been thrown off over the last year because a lot of them weren't possible or they weren't possible in the normal sort of way. So this is the perfect time as things begin to open up and as we dream towards the fall and kind of hopefully a life that's relatively normal, um, we uh, want to talk about, uh, let's just get back to the basics. This is what it means to be a Christian, these kind of things, and um, to do some really simple practices that change our lives and change the world. So my hope is with today, we're going to talk about um, what it means to grow spiritually. And here's what my hope is. This is what it means to be a part of Central City Church. You're committing, as, as somebody who wants to, you know, consider this your church home, you're committing to be on an intentional journey of spiritual growth with God and each other. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what it kind of means. To be, you're making an, a commitment or you're, you're declaring that this is important to be on an intentional journey of spiritual growth with both God and other people. And the, the important part I want to focus here is journey. A journey, of course, is from point A to point B. And here's what I love about journeys. Point A, you know what? We all start in different places. This is great about a journey. We're not asking you to, to, to have already arrived. We're just saying, hey, will you go on a journey? And you can start that journey wherever you are. In regards to your faith, in regards to your church experience, in regards to what you believe, you know, like, just we're just inviting you on a journey. So wherever you find yourself, you're welcome to start there and then travel with us. Now, I will say that point B, where we're headed, is going to look a little different based on who we are. I want to tease this out just for a second. It will look a little different. Our journeys will look a little different. But at the same time, I want you to hear this. 
It'll be similar, but we're not doing this on our own. God has never called you to be on a spiritual journey by yourself, where you get to chart the course by yourself, where you get to decide which direction you're headed, and you get to decide what it looks like in the end. That's not the invitation that God has offered to us. God has offered us an invitation to be on a journey with other people. So even though where we're headed and what your spiritual life looks like down the road is going to look a lot different than someone else, to be a part of our community is to say, hey, I want to go on it with other people, which means you're going to allow them to influence you. And you're going to allow yourself to be influenced uh, by them, and they're going to allow them to be influenced by you. So that's what we're talking about. What does it mean to be on a spiritual journey, both starting wherever you are and then going somewhere together? All right? To help us kind of look at what this looks like and how it, you know, what does this actually mean? What's the practical? We're going to spend some time in Scripture. Today, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you've got your smartphone, you're more than welcome to pull that out and follow along. We're going to, be, we're going to look at the entire chapter of 1 Timothy 4. Don't freak out. It's a short chapter. It's fine. Um, and honestly, if we run out of time, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, call it, we'll call it quits. But, uh, but I think we're going to have time to get through the whole chapter. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 1. If you can follow along on your phone or you can listen carefully, here's what Timothy says. Now, just a reminder, uh, this is Paul. He is writing to someone he's mentoring who is leading a church. So it would be like, um, honestly, some of this stuff I'm going to share today comes from a guy by the name of Paul. <laughs> so this could get confusing. Um, who's my mentor uh, and pr- previous senior pastor. And, uh, and so it would be like Paul writing to me t- to thus influence you all. That's what Paul, so Paul in the Bible is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is leading a particular church. And, and so one of the things he says in chapter 4 starts like this. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So this is already good. I mean, this is like, okay, we're there. This is straight up October Halloween stuff. There's going to be spirits and demons that are influencing people. Now, he's talking about people who actually claim to be Christian leaders. So this is a big deal. He says these people are going to be influenced by, and such teachings will come through individuals. Verse 2, he says such teachings are going to come through individuals. And here's how to describe these types of individuals. They will be hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So here's, here's these individuals he's uh, talking about. And Paul doesn't mince words. He's pretty direct. He's a lot more direct than I tend to be. Um, he's, he's, he's a, he, when he has something to say, he says it. These individuals who are claiming to be God, doing God's work, they'll be hypocritical, which means they're going to tell you to do something that they themselves might not have any interest in doing themselves. Like they're going to tell you to do something, but that, that's not how they're living their life. So they're a hypocrite. They're also liars, which means they're not telling the truth. They love to spin stories and come up with all kinds of crazy truths, and they sell them as truths. And this, though, is the scariest part. He says their consciences will be seared with, as with an iron, which this is what that means. That, that hypocrisy and that lying that they're doing, they actually don't see it as bad. Like they're so far gone, and their conscience has been seared in such a way that it's like, you know what? I think they legitimately think they're doing the Lord's work. Like, they don't see anything wrong with it. They don't think they're, 
They're not self-conscious about the line or the hypocrisy. Now, this was 2,000 years ago. Those types of people aren't around anymore. Nobody came to mind when I was talking about that for you all. But, but that was their problem, not ours today, but that was their problem, hypocritical liars who didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing. Here's what they, here's what they said, though. They forbid people to marry and ordered them to abstain from certain foods. So here is their method of spiritual growth. And you'll see this in the church, like the big C, church. Their method for spiritual growth was control. Words there like forbid and order. And here's how they would tell you, if you wanted to grow in your spiritual life, here's what you should do. You should listen to me and do whatever rules I give you on how you should live your life. So they forbid them to marry and they forbid, uh, to abstain from certain foods. Now he goes on, he says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. One of the challenges in the early church was this little group known as the Gnostics. And uh, I'm not an expert on, on Gnosticism, but I, I'm familiar enough that I'll give you a, a crash course in it. Um, the Gnostics were all about an experience or knowledge of God. That's what Gnostic meant. It meant knowledge. So it's like the, the focus on Gnosticism was all about experiencing God. One way to think about it is like they were hyper-spiritual. And so, um, so hyper-spiritual that anything material, anything physical was um, considered evil. So it was all about your experience with God. And anything else in your life was just a distraction from that spiritual experience. Once again, that was their problem then. I'm sure you've never met any Christians who have that perspective. But for the Gnostics, your experience of God was number one, and your everything else, your marriage, your family, the food you ate, the fun you had, it was all distraction and ultimately evil. And so he, they were telling you, they were telling the people to not get married. Because to the, to the Gnostics, um, uh, it wasn't really about marriage, it was about sex. Sex was bad. Because sex was a, was a physical desire that you had. Eating certain foods was a physical desire you had, and you should reject that. And so all of these physical desires you should reject. So don't get married, live celibate, don't eat good food, only eat certain kinds of food, and a number of other things. It was asceticism, essentially what the Gnostics were all about, asceticism, where you just deprive yourself of good things out of the mindset that you would become more spiritual. Now, I know that this is actually, strangely, something that still is pervasive in our Christian culture. I've got some good news for you, though, as we talk about what it means to grow spiritually. You don't have to give good things uh, away. You can still experience good things. It's not about asceticism. It's not about, you know, forbidding yourself from experiencing things with some sort of hope that it'll have some magical spiritual experience because you've given up, that you've sacrificed, that you've, that you've punished yourself so much. Um, that if you give more of this, you'll have more of God. Paul says no. In fact, Paul is deeply against this, adamantly against this. He goes on in, in very strong words. Uh, you don't become more spiritual by becoming less in tune with your physical life and your physical desires. That's not how it happens. It'd be like saying your, your mental health's going to improve if you neglect your body. Well, that's not the case. In fact, if you exercise, your mental health will improve. All of these areas are connected, and you're not going to grow spiritually just by depriving yourself of the things that you want. It's more complicated than that. No, in fact, Paul makes it really clear when it comes to the good things in life, everything from sex to ice cream, whatever, the good stuff in life. It's not about rejecting it and abstaining from it in some sort of hyper-spiritual mindset. It's about being grateful. You'll do more to grow as an individual, 
into the likeness of Christ by being thankful for the good that you have than by having some sort of hyper-spiritual perspective around abstaining from certain things. It's the gratitude that actually changes our hearts. And that's what Paul says here. So I'm going to say it again. You will grow not by punishing yourself, but by being thankful for the good that you have, receiving good things with thanksgiving. So he goes on, uh, next verse, verse uh, 6, he says this. He's telling Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with this kind of thinking that I just described, where it's like, oh, I got to be hyper-spiritual and say no to everything. To have no kind of thinking with these kinds, uh, with these godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. It says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, which is about as far as the scripture goes to supporting physical fitness. He says physical training has value, essentially. Scripture's like physical training has value, um, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this is important. He says, learning to grow spiritually, becoming more like Jesus, to, to become more godly, is beneficial both for our life right now. It will immediately benefit your life and for the life to come, wherever you're headed. Whatever the future holds, it is a worthy investment. He goes on to say then, and this, this is Paul being like, I really want you to hear this. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So Paul's like really adamant about this. That is why we labor and strive. He says, he goes as far as like, this is what my ministry is all about because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior. And hear this, this is bold words for Paul. The living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He's like, God is here to save all people and in a special way, those who believe and God is living and active and what you're engaging in is something that's not about rules or asceticism. It is about engaging in a living God who wants to meet us. So the first is, you know, you can't focus on just making your life harder and hoping that will help your spiritual life. Like, I just, I, I need to be more uncomfortable and then I'll grow spiritually. And sometimes that's the perspective we get in, our, in the church. No, we got to take good life with gratitude. But the second idea is it's still going to take work. He says you got to train. You've got a discipline, just like physical training. You got to dis- it takes discipline. It takes being intentional. It's not going to be a breeze. It is a form of training like physical fitness. Now, this is different than the previous point, and it's important in a lot of ways. The Gnostics were all about giving up sex and good food because they thought by doing that, it would just by nature make them more spiritual. And that's the kind of perspective that cults have. But those who are in training is different. They might give up things at times, things related to physical pleasures because, not because um, it's inherently evil, but because of where they are right now and the growth that they'd like to see in their, ha- in their life requires that they give something up. And that's very different. It's not because there are good, you know, like ice cream, for example, that's something I need to give up given my current circumstance in life, not because ice cream is inherently evil. So this is a, important for us to kind of wrestle with that. If these things that God has given us they're good, and they should be received in the right context. Marriage, boundaries, 
all of that. So that's the big difference here. Um, one would say that it's evil, the other would say that it just depends on the context. So here's, it's still going to require work, and here's what the end result should look like. Next verse, verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So he says age doesn't matter here. He's talking to a young pastor. He's like, age, age isn't the issue here. Instead, do this. Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, this is what it should look like. If you're going to grow in your faith and you're going to take this seriously, you're going to go on a journey where you start at point A and you're headed to point B or, or, or wherever, the, the goal is to become the type of person that is an example for other people when it comes to how you talk to other people, your speech, how you behave, your conduct, how you love other people, how you believe and trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances, and even how you engage in purity, which is another way of saying those physical desires that we have, making sure that they're in the right context, that you're not just enjoying them in the wrong place with the wrong boundaries, whether it be uh, the purity in the, the scriptures have everything to do with sex to food, and, and the scriptures lay out like what's the appropriate context for these. So all of these should meant to be examples. We want to be a church, and we are in a lot of ways. People, people, you know, back when we were kind of hanging out together, which has been a while, um, people would come and they would we'd ask like visitors what they thought or what their experience of church was, and people would talk about how. You know, it felt really authentic, or the people they met were really kind or friendly, or, you know, there's a, there's a sense of authenticity. And that's the goal. We want to be different in a good way. You know, we want to be where people, you know, come and they experience, they show up and we're like, okay, yeah, this person, like the way they talk to me, the way they behave, the way they, they trust God, like these are, these are things that I'm, I want more in my life. I'd like, I, we are striving to grow as people that we can be examples of what, what Christians, what humans could be like. So what does it look like to grow spiritually? It's these types of things, actually changing and becoming people of character. So I ask you, how has your talk been to other people besides absent, <laughs> you know, non-existent? How has your conversations been? How's your conduct been? How have you been, how have we been, how have you, I feel like a, a parent after seeing your kids for a long, I was like, how, have you been behaving? You know, but your, you know, your conduct, how, what's your faith life been like? We were singing a Ain't no grave, hold the body down, and up from the ground, they'll come. And I was just, I couldn't stop thinking about the cicadas. <laughs> Very different kind of song when there's cicadas. How's your faith like, Ben? And I'll be honest, mine's, mine's struggled in the last year. Isolation, mental health. I mean, these things are, it, once again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It's, it's about choosing to be on the journey and constantly moving forward. So what has your faith life been like, and where are you growing in these areas? What does it mean? Uh, to, uh, to really allow these ideas that we have about what it means to be a Christian and allow those to move from our head to our hearts and actually seep out into our lives, into the lives of the people we interact with and hang out with and all of that. So how do we do that? Paul goes on. He says this, Until I come, devote yourself 
to public reading of Scripture, preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, Timothy, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. That's verses 13 and 14. So he says this. He says, here's how you're going to help your community grow in their faith, to publicly read Scripture. Get on a soapbox for just a second here. We live in a culture, an American culture, that is going to try to convince you that your best life is the one you carve out for yourself. That your career is only made possible because you pursue it yourself. It's yours to go after. And we've all wrestled with this. We've, you know, as, we've, as we've chatted in group, various groups of people I know, like your career, your personal development, it's, it's yours to hustle. And your spiritual life is the same way. Like your best spiritual life is good because you, you're, you're reading the books and you're, you're sharing the quotes or whatever it is that you're doing to invest in your own spiritual life. That's, and that is not what scripture teaches. That is what our American culture teaches, that our life is about the individual, and you should pursue your own life. What Scripture says is not that you should read Scripture. Scripture says that you should engage in public reading of Scripture, teaching, and preaching, and and it says it a lot of other ways. Um, We've got to be on this journey together with other people, whoever those people are. And, and, you know, sometimes those people, it doesn't make sense for those people to be us. Um. You know, I just met with somebody this week, and these are always hard conversations, and I'll probably have more. I always have a couple a year where someone sat down and said, hey, Central City's just not the right fit for me. Uh, this other church I've gotten connected with, and it's it's like it, it's the community that seems to be connecting. And I'm like, I bless them and sent them with with my blessing because it's not about us, it's but it is about being with a people and choosing to grow with a people. And allowing scripture to impact us as a people. So just real quick, here's why we gather uh, together. Here's why we're going to continue to gather together. Um, and why we're, we're, you know, some people are talking about reinventing church and keeping everything online. And that's not our current plan, although we'll probably offer online op- options in the future. But we want to gather together for a couple of reasons. Here's the first one. Jesus modeled it. Jesus gathered in synagogues. And I absolutely love this when you think about it. Uh, Luke 4 says it like this. He, uh, he, on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. So Jesus um, uh, went to the synagogue. And, and what I love about that is, first off, they're not reading any of the Gospels at the synagogue, right? Because the Gospels aren't written yet. They're, they're, they're happening. Uh, they're not reading any of Pauline's epistles. They're reading Old Testament. And Jesus probably didn't even agree with their interpretation, like, that's part of what Jesus, Jesus probably didn't even agree what was happening all the time at the synagogue, but it was still his custom to show up amongst his people and to remain in the rhythm of gathering. And so we should too. The second reason, the early church modeled it. You read through Acts, um, it talks about every week they gather together. Honestly, we've got it easy uh, as, as predominantly uh, non-Jewish Christians because the Jewish Christians would go to the synagogue, as was the custom, and then hang out the next day on Sunday uh, for church. So they're going to church two times a week. Um, they're getting kind of the Jewish experience and then they're gathering in their homes for church. So and this is very common in the early church. Acts uh, 20 and Acts 2 both talk about it. The, the third reason we gather together and we're going to continue to and, and why this is so important for our spiritual lives is, is Hebrews 10, 24, 25. It says it like this. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
let's consider, and this is something you should be considering. That's what it says here. Let's consider. So I'm challenging you. Consider, think about, ponder, spend some time this week thinking about this. How can you encourage other people to increase their love and increase the good deeds they do? He says, goes on, let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as the day is quickly approaching, referring to kind of the end times. So Jesus modeled it, the early church modeled it, scripture teaches it, and then here's the fourth one, which I've already kind of beat over, you know, I've hit a couple times, I won't, I won't belabor it, but it's simply this. Quite frankly, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's not about me, it's not about you. We gather together. One of the reasons why I'm going to challenge you to keep coming back on Sunday mornings and gathering together isn't just because you might get something out of it. Although I certainly want you to. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to deprive you of anything good. Like I don't intentionally try to write terrible sermons. I promise. I really do. I, you know, some weeks though, I mean, it's might feel that way. But regardless of that, I challenge you to gather together with other Christians because they need it. Even on weeks where you don't. You know, on weeks where you don't get anything out of it. And they need to see other people. They, they need to bump into somebody they haven't seen in a while or even just a simple hi or a little conversation. These are profound ways in which we impact each other's lives. And it's very, very important. So when we talk about growing spiritually, here's what we're talking about. Two things. One is showing up to a weekly gatherings. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to make it more sexy. Uh, it's just important. It's it's part of how we grow as people, and it's a discipline. It's not by doing that we become ultimately more spiritual. It's by doing that it becomes a rhythm, just like any other discipline in your life, whether it be exercise or eating habits or whatever, it becomes a rhythm that allows us to grow in our spiritual lives. The other way that we grow spiritually is by spending time alone. I, I'm not going to discredit that. I think it's very important besides just showing up on Sunday that you're taking an active role in your spiritual life. So you're spending time during the week to pray, to read scripture, to reflect, to journal. I mean, if you want to grow spiritually, I don't, this is, these are the two best ways you can do it, by showing up and then showing up in a way that you've invested over the week in your spiritual life. You've pondered things, you've wrestled with things, and you've spent time trying to listen to God and sharing your burdens with God. Nothing will transform our spiritual lives more than being in community, hearing scripture proclaimed, and wrestling with that during the week on our own. Now, we're going to continue over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about why serving helps us grow in our faith and why that's important. We're going to talk about what it means to share our faith with other people, what it means to reach intentionally. We're going to talk about what it means to, uh, to give generously and how that transforms our hearts and our minds. We're going to talk about serving, uh, engaging cross-culturally, meeting God and the other. Um, these are some of the other things we'll talk about. And each one of these, when you boil it down, it's a very simple activity that actually over time will transform us into the people God is calling us to be. So I want to I want to end by just reading the uh, the last uh, uh, two verses of chapter four. It's First Timothy four fifteen to sixteen. This is uh, Paul's encouragement after kind of laying all of this stuff out. Is after kind of saying, "Don't listen to these false teachers. They don't know what they're talking about." After saying, "You know, uh, you've got to train yourself. It's going to take discipline." After talking about the importance of gathering publicly and in wrestling with Scripture together as a community, uh, he goes on to say this. He says, "Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that." Everyone may see your progress. Wow. Give yourself 
to this so that when we get together, you're like, man, I love what God is doing in your life. I can see it. I, I, I've, I've, I'm like kind of convicted in the midst of all of this because, <clears throat> you know, it's been a tough year and all of that. So if that's you too, don't, don't worry about it. That's the past. We're on a journey and we're starting right here. So moving forward, what does it mean to invest in our spiritual lives? So if we gather together and get to know each other. We're like, wow, I love what God is doing in your life. He goes on, watch your life and doctrine closely. Pay attention, he says. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. We ask that the, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy continues to uh, inspire and challenge us over the next, um, as we reflect on it. Holy Spirit, just come and uh, heal us in those places that are broken and hurting and that you would challenge us to, uh, to keep showing up and, and that during the week you'd create space and opportunity for us to spend time with you, that we could get back into some really healthy rhythms of scripture and prayer And just back to the basics. Help us, Lord, to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.